Hi, and thanks for tuning in once again, or maybe for your first time to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. Hello, I'm Richard Lanford, the so named, self named, and truly am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. This message is preached for Sunday, May 24th, and it is going to be the Sunday before Memorial Day is observed in the United States. And so the message will not only borrow from the lectionary, particularly the book of Acts, chapter 1. And our lector today is Jen Schneider, who is also our church president. Um, But it also uh, brings it into Memorial Day and kind of why we celebrate it. Um, And so I hope you'll find it um, thought, thought-provoking and inspiring. Thanks again for tuning in, as I'll thank you again on the other side of this podcast. And uh, I'll let Jen take it from here with our scriptures for today. Our first reading today is that New Testament reading. It is chapter 1, verses 6 through 14 of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The risen Jesus talks to his followers one last time before he ascends, and then the disciples begin to wait for the promised spirit. This reading is appropriate because last Thursday was Ascension Day. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the time or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into the heavens, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, and they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This ends the reading from Acts. Our second and final reading is once more from the first letter of Peter. We have verses 12 through 14 from chapter 4, followed by chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Please keep in mind once again that Peter wrote to churches facing harassment, prison, and even worse, on account of their Christian faith. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice 
insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled in the name of Christ, you are so blessed, because the Spirit of glory, which is the Spirit of God, is resting upon you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around you, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Here ends the reading of the Epistle lesson and our scripture lessons for this morning. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. One of the unique features of being the pastor of this church used to be leading a memorial service on Memorial Day for the Skokie Posts of the American Legion, VFW, and their women's auxiliaries at our cemetery. At least one year, I turned to the Gettysburg Address for inspiration. Some of you may know it by heart. Please allow me on this holiday weekend to read it to you again. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met here on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it. Far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have thus far so nobly carried on. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve 
that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that this government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And Jesus told the disciples before ascending into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They and the women who had accompanied them remained together in that room upstairs in Jerusalem, waiting. We celebrate what they were waiting for next Sunday. But as President Lincoln spoke of those present at the Gettysburg Cemetery battlefield being dedicated to the great task that still remained, Jesus told his followers to be his witnesses. Lincoln reminded them that they, and we by national inheritance, take up an increased devotion for the task for which those honored dead had perished, that there shall be a new birth of freedom, where all men are created equal and become free. Jesus told his followers to be his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but also to Judea, to unwelcoming Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Our 16th president urged and identified his listeners to renew their energies and dedication to freedom and restoring the union so that such government of, by, and for the people shall not perish. He asked for their witness to and participation in the labors of liberty. Jesus told his followers to bear witness to him that his good news be everywhere. His good news, or gospel, included valuing justice. We know that justice mattered to Jesus. It's a kingdom value. If you've been listening to me long enough, as soon as I said those last couple of sentences, you might have a good idea what I'm going to say next. I'm going to refer to Luke 4, when Jesus reads from Isaiah in the synagogue. It's the text from Isaiah where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, that's a relatively easy verse to point to and to remember about the Justice is a kingdom value, a kingdom thing. And Jesus went on to say, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm fulfilling this prophecy by inference. But let us not forget this passage in Matthew 23, verse 23, when Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith it is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others 
You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Luke has his own version in his chapter 11. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. When the church bears witness to Jesus like he tells us to, it is not only to bear witness to his suffering, death, and resurrection. It is not only to spread the good news of forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and the promise of a new community of faith that ignores where you came from, what color your skin is, whether you were slave or free, male or female, Gentile or Jew, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. It is also to bear witness to the fact that Jesus loves justice. This is something we are to practice along with his teachings and the love and mercy of God. President Lincoln spoke of the Gettysburg Cemetery as a place already consecrated by the brave men, living and dead, who struggled here. They struggled and died on the Union side to preserve the Union of the United States. They fought to defeat the Confederate States, which meant ultimately an end to slavery. They fought to secure not only reunion, but a new birth of freedom, which to me means also an end to slavery in the South. That was then also a new manifestation of justice. That liberty and justice would come to mean the right to vote for African-American men. That is enshrined in the 15th Amendment of the Constitution of these United States. It reads in section one, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. That was ratified in 1870. Well, the Civil War was preceded by the American Revolution when the Patriots wanted, among other things, an end to taxation without representation. Well, they could vote for their own local leaders who ended up sending men to serve in the wartime Continental Congress, but never could they vote to send people to represent them in Parliament. They fought for their right to vote over those who would be able to make such legislation, and that was part and parcel that they were fighting for independence from Britain. So thinking about those couple of wars and, and other conflicts that the United States has been in, either for us and, or for our allies, I asked myself, in simple terms, why did all these men and some women die? My mom used to take me with her to the polls. She taught me people died for your right to vote. You vote. These sacrifices of these honored dead, and not only them in Gettysburg, they then can be seen as an extension of what Lincoln dreamed of in a new birth of freedom, which would include the vote, to, to, the freedom to vote in elections for all people. The right to vote is an element of justice and freedom in our world. 
and bearing witness to the Jesus of justice and living in a land where we remember, weep over, and honor those who died protecting our freedoms. Why do you and I and much of the Western church stay silent when learning about people being cheated out of voting because of the color of their skin? Fear and racism removed the right to vote for black Americans despite the 15th Amendment once Jim Crow laws came in and they were enforced, not the amendment. In World War I, black regiments like the 369th Regiment, Infantry Regiment, known as the Harlem Hellfighters, when they came home, it was not as widely hailed heroes, but to be victims of assaults, lynching, and even be in massacres upon them. The war to make the world safe for democracy was fought partly by black Americans, but they did not get to be a part of the democracy, could not vote in their own country. Instead, they were attacked. Many things propelled the American Civil Rights Movement last century. Among them was the violent intimidation that rose up when African Americans in the South tried to vote or even tried to register to vote. If you, as a black American in the South, tried to register to vote, you'd be observed, perhaps confronted, and then maybe find your roof lit on fire that night. If you remember 1964, you may recall the names of James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman. They were activists investigating the burning of the Mount Zion Methodist Church in Neshoba County, Mississippi, where they had earlier encouraged blacks to vote. They were shot dead by a white lynch mob on June 21st, 1964, and buried in the mud of a river dam. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 made the right to vote assured again and enforced, as it had been enforced more particularly since 1961. And yet, voter suppression is happening here especially targeting, again, people of color. Our bearing witness to the good news of the Jesus who loved justice is not to be silent any longer. Honoring those who died for the ideals and liberties of our nation ought not fall silent here either. Decades ago, in frustration at the media and half-truths told, I told my seminary classmate, Bruce Gillette, I did not know who to believe. He replied, I believe the church. And he meant the church-based media, print, and press. So this next portion is from the Reverend Jim Wallace of Sojourners Magazine and the Reverend Barbara Williams Skinner. This month, May, they published an article called Voter Suppression is a Theological Issue. Let me share a little of that with you. In 2016 and two years ago, voters faced extensive efforts that made voting more difficult, particularly voters of color and those who are poor. Those voter suppressions happened, perhaps most significantly as a result of the Supreme Court's 2013 gutting of a key provision 
in the groundbreaking Voting Rights Act of 1965, which required certain states with a history of discrimination to seek pre-clearance to change voting procedures. Between the 2013 decision to diminish voter protections and another huge factor not germane to the sermon, 23 states put in new voter restrictions in advance of the 2016 elections. By the 2018 midterm, that number had risen to 33 states. These restrictions included, one, laws that eliminated polling places or moved them to less accessible locations, often on election day and without notice, two, reduced polling hours, three, tightened voter ID requirements, four, purged voter rolls, and five, reduced early voting and Sunday voting, which are popular among voters in black churches, six. Some groups also waged state-based disinformation campaigns, advertising, incorrect election dates, fake addresses for polling places, and even veiled threats of voter intimidation. They continue. In 2016, in a ruling against a particularly egregious voting law in North Carolina, a federal court said certain provisions of the law, quote, target, target African Americans with almost surgical precision. The court added, with race data in hand, the legislature amended the bill to exclude many of the alternative photo IDs used by African Americans and retained only the kinds of IDs that white North Carolinians were more likely to possess. End quote from the court. Wallace and William Skinner continue, and I'll end my quoting with this. Here's some very good news. A broad coalition of Christian denominational and church leaders, led by the leaders of many black denominations, has been joined by many leaders of predominantly white and multicultural churches in a new letter just sent to every member of Congress and every senator from both parties. As Christians committed to justice and living in a representative democracy, for which I add, our soldiers died to have, keep, and save, it's hard to argue against wanting as many people as possible to vote. We must protect this most basic right of rights for all our brothers and sisters, and that work must start well before any ballots are cast. End of quote. There are many, many things that we can do as individuals and as a congregation and as the United Church of Christ as an extension of our Christian witness and of our own efforts for the rebirth of a new freedom, to roll back voter suppression. As the heirs of those who died fighting for this nation's ideals, and more importantly, as witnesses to what Jesus did for us and what he called us to do, practice justice. Eradicating racist barriers to accessing the voting booth should be a no-brainer. And that is good news. May we all have a meaningful Memorial Day. Amen.
That concludes our Redheaded Preacher podcast for this Sunday, May 24th, 2020. Next week, it'll be May 31st, and we'll be celebrating the Day of Pentecost. And so I can already tell you that we'll be hearing from Acts chapter 2, and uh, we'll see what other scriptures get chosen and how this sermon, which is one of my favorite days to preach, uh, how that goes. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast, a special um, Memorial Day kind of uh, service, which you didn't get to hear, but uh, a different angle on on Memorial Day from a sermonic and theological perspective. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week. Bye.